Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome to Motivation with a Purpose once again on this Friday morning on TalkZone.com at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I am Rich Hallstrom, and my co-host Zeke Bambolo is once again by my side. And I have a question for our audience out there this morning. Are you ready for tax season this year? This is going to be a very practical show this week. And Zeke, nothing like taxes brings out various reactions in human uh, form, that is. Oh, my goodness. Say that again. Yeah, you know, um, we know there are good reasons that our government and our uh, country wants us to share the burden and the load of, uh, in terms of our taxes and how it, in, it enhances and helps our environment in, in so many ways. But, uh, yeah, you can't help but wonder, especially for business owners and so forth, how uh, of a fr- uh, such a frightening situation it can be to deal with this time of the year and having everything everything ready in, uh, in avoiding the audits and everything else that come about with this season. So it's uh, it's uh, for me as well as you as you, I'm pretty sure, is always a very touchy time of the year. We want to make sure we get it absolutely correct. Well, as you just talked about a few seconds ago, Zeke, uh, taxes touch every facet of our lives, whether it be personal, business, professional, estate taxes, uh, all kinds of taxes, sales taxes, uh, health care with Obamacare. So every area of our lives is touched by this very uh, sensitive but important subject, and that's why we have Michael Gray, a CPA, with us uh, this morning. He has over 34 years of experience, and we're looking forward to having a great conversation with Michael as he tells us about some of these very important aspects of uh, tax history and the tax code, so how we can prepare ourselves in the next few weeks before the uh, very uh, important date of April 15th comes around. It's always yes, good to indeed. be prepared. It's always good to be prepared uh, beforehand. No last minute uh, things coming up on April 15th. We don't want that for anybody in our audience. And so what we what we're looking for today, obviously, is to have to have an, an expert come on here and really give us an education. And uh, Michael always always provides his information as well, so that if people need to reach him him and ask some additional questions, that opportunity is there. Again, we know it's a stressful time of the year, but who better to talk to when it comes to stressful situation than the expert who knows what to do in those situations? So we're looking forward to talking with Michael today. Well, Michael has 34 years of experience as a CPA and has been featured in numerous newspapers from the Wall Street Journal to the San Jose Mercury News. He's a sought-after seminar leader, and he also writes a monthly tax and business newsletter. And we welcome Michael to the Motivation with a Purpose Airwaves. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm fine. Can you hear me okay? We sure can. Uh, Michael, let's jump right into the subject of taxes this morning. What is the biggest misunderstood concept out there when it comes to taxes from your from your perspective? I don't know. I, I, what I can tell you is I've been seeing situations. I have just gone through a very expensive proposition with a client who has 
uh, gotten behind on filing his income tax returns. And uh, it's something you just don't want to do uh, when the penalties are really severe, of course. But then what happens is the government, you know, they'll make a big guess as to what your taxes might be uh, based on whatever information that they received. In this particular case, he sold a building, uh, you know, like for $1.2 million, and now, you know, basically they're just figuring the tax on the whole thing with no deduction. So uh, anyway, it's just very important to to keep up with uh, your tax filing. So, so Michael and I, I'm uh, also. I want to make sure our guests here will will chime in. I mean, will understand that you are dealing w- both with businesses and individuals. Is that is that accurate? That's correct. Okay. Okay. So. So, um, I mean, as you, as you listen to what you just said just now, you were talking about uh, penalties and so forth. And I think one of the things that we uh, tend to, um, especially for those, those, of, those of us who are, in, who are laymen when it comes to the, the whole taxing, we may be able to do a tax planning or, or do some tax with our uh, software and so forth. But just in general, first of all, uh, help our people understand the difference between uh, uh, the benefit of having a true CPA like yourself involved with them or working with the software to begin with from a personal standpoint. Well, the software sometimes is pretty helpful, especially for uh, for fairly simple tax returns. Uh, they have a an interview mode, and so when people follow that interview mode, uh, for the most part, uh, they can... Uh, get through uh, and, and prepare a pretty decent tax return. Uh, CPAs are better at, at recognizing problems and issues and asking questions uh, about information that seems to be missing. Uh, so that's a big part of you know what we develop over years. Is in particular that's what I have. You know, people look at me sometimes they're, they're very surprised about the questions that I ask to bring up. You know. Uh, uh, maybe an additional deduction or some uh, unreported income or finding uh, accounting uh, problems. So anyway, so that's an awful lot of what uh, CPAs bring to the table. Also their education, of course, and being familiar, hopefully, with uh, a lot of, uh, of, of broad tax issues and then making suggestions on how you can improve your tax position. Of course, in tax planning, that's uh, part of what we try to do. And to alert people uh, to do things in advance. So, for example, um, a, a very important item is the required distributions for retirement accounts. Once you're age 70 and a half, uh, you have an amount that you're required to take out each year. And if you miss that, the potential penalty is 50% of the undistributed amount. And um, so, anyway, that. You know, very severe penalties, and so it's better, of course, to know and, and to do these things in advance. And, um, you know, a lot of times people, they're, they're just not familiar with these things. The, the retirement companies are pretty good now about reminding people, you know, sending them a reminder that a, a retired a required distribution may be coming up. But uh, a real problem area, for example, is inherited accounts, and people may not even know for a while that they have an account. They have to get a required distribution for it. Mm. Um, so anyway, um, you know, that's a little bit of the background about how CPAs can help. 
Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, you're telling us pretty much, you know, which is what we always want to know about our taxes, that whether or not we're leaving things on the table that we should be handling uh, a lot more efficiently. And you've already said a few things in your short time with us, uh, in my own, you know, that uh, I certainly wouldn't have probably thought about, although sometimes in my past I've used the, the software as well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I guess what you, you've just given us a practical understanding as well with the inherited account that the, the biggest risk is that we are not, uh, with the software, we could be leaving more on the table than we imagine we are. Oh, yeah. Well, we could be uh, liable for uh, taxes and penalties that, that some people may not even be aware of, which is kind of a sad situation. The, the IRS does have some discretion to waive these penalties, so, but, but uh, you know, you need to get these things cleaned up and, and straight. Another thing related to the tax software that people need to really be aware of, and to me it's like one of the number one items, let's just say I put it at the top of my list here of uh, some things to think about during tax season, and that is uh, to remember to update your software. So if you have, you know, the software you load on your computer, uh, that off-the-shelf software uh, probably has had a lot of changes to it because the uh, there's been programming changes that have been happening with the IRS and other things. Uh, and remember the late tax law changes that happened uh, early in January this year. And some of those things may not be built into the software that's on the shelf. So be sure to download the update uh, that you can get online related to that software when you use it, or you, you may have a, uh, an error on your tax return. Following up on your comments, Michael, about the software, I know that a lot of people who are filing their fact, filing their taxes for the first time look to software and some uh, helpful tools like that to make that easier. What advice would you have for someone who is filing taxes for the very first time this year and has never done it before? <clears throat> Well, a really good thing to do, <laughs> and I know people won't like this, but it's to read the instructions. <coughs> read the instructions for the uh, income tax forms. Uh, those instructions actually can be pretty helpful in leading you through and helping you to understand, you know, what needs to be included. And uh, you know, it depends on uh, what's going on. You know, if you just have a, a W two and you don't have particular deductions. You can actually find some free uh, filing software um, uh, at the IRS uh, website. It's offered through the various companies, uh, TurboTax and uh, H&R Block and others. Uh, and, again, if you, if you follow that interview mode, um, you know, again, it will do a pretty good job of helping you in, in filling in those boxes. So, you know, for the very young people, that's okay. You might actually even, of course, ask mom and dad or whoever to sort of look over your shoulder or if you have a friend who's a, a tax return preparer uh, to look over your shoulder. If you have much, though, that's uh, more co complicated going on, like you started a business uh, or now you're investing in real estate uh, and Maybe uh, you, you're buying real estate, and the popular thing to do these days is to fix up the property and then to resell it and that sort of stuff. Then I would say you should get help from uh, from a tax professional. 
That sounds that sounds great. I think uh, I think we're up against our first break here. So when we come back from the break, you here on uh, motivational the purple with, and we're talking with Michael Gray, our CPA, talking about our tax season time of the year, and we'll be right back to motivational the purple on TalkZone.com. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, it's Friday morning here on the Pacific Coast, and we are on Motivation with a Purpose here on TalkZone Radio. We have been speaking with a special guest this morning, Mr. Michael Gray. He is a CPA tax professional who has been helping us. It's that time of the year, and we surely should be out there making sure we have our ducks in a row as we uh, take care of our finances this year. And so going on with Michael, uh, Michael, can you kind of walk us through a list of what you would call some of the most important tax regulations that we need to know about this year? Well, I've got a list of some uh, items uh, to highlight. So uh, this isn't really a particular regulation, the first item, but I think it's a really important one, and that is uh, the business of an identity theft. And so uh, these days, you know, people are unfortunately sharing uh, certain information online that maybe they shouldn't be, and somehow people are getting Social Security numbers and other things and, and filing tax returns. And then it, it seems like it's a race between the identity thief and the individual who, the actual individual, for filing a tax return and uh, and getting the refund, and and then uh, once that error is discovered, it sometimes takes years to straighten out with the IRS. So just be very careful to keep your information as secure as you can. Um, you know, don't send out uh, naked emails uh, with your Social Security number on them and that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, Michael, that, that, Michael that, that is good stuff. I mean, you, you just with that, sorry to interrupt it, but that was, that's something that I probably wouldn't have thought about just naturally. I don't think the layperson normally just thinks about the impact of identity theft on uh, this time of the year, huh? Oh, yeah, and it's a big one. Well, actually, the IRS is devoting uh, a big part of their resources right now uh to this identity theft issue, and uh, they have, for example, a, you know, I guess a big uh, task force here, even in Silicon Valley, because you know, here's where people share information more than probably anywhere else, and uh, so they're trying to identify who are these people that are uh, that are doing this sort of stuff. So anyway, um, it's it's a real uh, problem, and uh, you need to be very uh, conscientious about it and watching what's going on. Uh, it may even be a good idea to check with the IRS uh, from time to t- time, a little bit like checking your credit and what's going on in my account. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> okay, so I already talked about updating your tax software. Um, so um, another thing that happens is people use their, this tax software, and uh, and they may do a fresh start each year. Okay, in other words, they don't, carry forward information from last year, well, there, there's maybe some information that may be important. For example, if you had a capital loss carryover, uh, it would not be picked up uh, if you did a fresh start uh, with your tax software. Uh, a 
big item for some of my clients is uh, there's a thing called the refundable minimum tax credit. They're actually able to recover as a refund some tax credits that they paid uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, as a, and anyway, those items will not be picked up uh, if you do a fresh start uh, with your tax return preparation software without rolling forward your information. Mm-hmm. Um, another item is watching the state tax differences. Some states, well, let's say many states, have conformity issues. Of course, some states, uh, <clears throat> I think you guys might be even in Washington State, they don't have an income tax, so you right. sort of luck out. Correct. Uh, but the, there are other states, though, that do, you know, like California, and our tax laws are quite different from the federal tax laws. And so um, this is one of the, the areas also where a tax uh, practitioner uh, uh, really can provide some help. You know, when if you again, if you got wages, wages is wages, but when you... Uh, have other items like uh, depreciation and other things, uh, other deductions and, and special credits and so forth. Uh, you know, you may not be even aware of them, uh, what those differences might be. So uh, be aware of that. Another Michael, thing is, yeah. let's think about this. I'll bring up, a, I would like to bring up a scenario to you uh, because your last uh, point that you brought up uh had me come up with another question that would be, I think, very interesting to our listening audience. What if you spend six months in a state, per se, that has uh, income tax, and then you also live in another state that does not have income tax? How does that Im- impact your income tax return? Well, you might be a part-year resident, okay, um, so... Uh, that can happen. You know, you move from state to state, and so there's a part-year resident form that uh, that states have. Uh, if you're living in a state and you're working in another state, uh, let's say both states have a tax, uh, then there are state tax credits that are available to try to reduce the impact of double taxation for the state. So I hate to... I, I'm, Let's see here. So like Arizona and California, I think this will work, uh, for example. So if you have a California person goes to work uh, in Arizona, you know, uh, temporarily and then comes back to California, but they haven't really changed their residence. Okay, well, they're going to have to pay Arizona income tax on the income earned in Arizona. Right. Then, then uh, you have to also include that income on your California income tax return, and then you get to subtract the Arizona tax, basically it's the lesser of the two taxes, uh, that amount gets subtracted from your California income tax. So um, so there are provisions uh, to try to reduce that double tax. Again, this is the type of situation where you probably want to get some tax help. We want you allowed to, to keep, uh, go back to your list here pretty soon. You're giving us some good things there. But I want to also, uh, in this same state-to-state conversation, uh, I'm not sure about you. I mean, you're a seminar presenter, so you probably do some of this. But for me, I tend to sometimes travel and speak in different states, and that's another thing, not just living in one and working in another. But when I when you go and just even for a short time speak in another state and you have an income from that state, how am I supposed to approach that uh, conversation as well, even if it's just a temporary, you know, one-day stay? or work a situation? Well, 
um, I'll just say theoretically, you're supposed to report the income in the other state. I for this little hour interview, I, it's hard for me to get into uh, you know a lot of depth related to that. So, I understand. Uh, the, the state tax. That we have uh, specialists in state taxation, and and there are some people that that's all that they do is handle special problems related to state income taxes, and the and the, the rules related to businesses are extremely complex, and that, again, then you need to have a, a good professional who knows that sort of stuff uh, involved uh, if you're dealing with that. Michael. Another one of the big issues that people are going to be thinking about as they fill out their income tax returns for this year is Obamacare. How does Obamacare relate to the individual listeners' taxes out there, and what are some of the red flags and some of the very important points that we need to know and be aware of as we fill out things in relation to Obamacare? Well, those are good questions. I don't <laughs> And I don't claim to be an expert in them. But what I can say is uh, there are some penalties that apply if you're not covered by medical insurance, uh, you know, when you're required to be uh, under this new plan. And the penalties start off uh, being, uh, you know, uh, pretty modest. Um, I, I would say, again, uh, well, first of all, if you don't have medical insurance, you should be looking into it. And looking into the alternatives, there are things that are going to be coming up. Um, these things called exchanges that basically will be a way to, to shop for uh, medical insurance on the internet. Is the way I think it's probably going to be set up in most states, and they'll, and they'll have uh, different plans that you can compare online. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, and actually, good people to talk to related to some of this stuff is um, is. Uh, the companies that deal in medical insurance, so your insurance agent. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not having to wrestle with that very much. First of all, most of my clients have their medical insurance, and so, uh, you know, that's okay. The, the big thing, though, is for businesses, too, So um, because there are many businesses uh, that have not been providing medical insurance for their employees in the past, they need to uh, look into that again. I would say get together with your insurance agent um, uh, to see how this affects you. Again, the penalties initially are are fairly modest, but eventually they will ramp up and, and become more severe. Um, so th that's the impact that I see. For, for most of us, again, if we, if we already have uh, medical insurance that's provided through our employment or we have privately, uh, it's, it's not going to be really an issue. Yeah, Michael, I think you know on the head right there in terms of the uh, the Obamacare, it seems like that is something that is certainly being hammered, uh, is hammering more on the business end of things for especially small business owners and so forth. But um, we want to give an opportunity to go back. You were giving us some great items there on your list of things, and I think you, you hadn't exhausted them. I think you had a few more you wanted to share with us in terms of the things that we should be aware of in terms of this new tax season. Am I correct? Well, I do have some more uh, things here to think about. So one uh, has to do with foreign bank and brokerage accounts. This has been a really big area of focus for the Internal Revenue Service. And you think, well, it just applies to wealthy people, but 
We have people that are traveling back and forth. For example, okay, you're in Washington State. You have Canadians that are going back and forth, and people in the, uh, from Washington State that are going to work in uh, in British Columbia or whatever. Right. And so, uh, so they may have bank accounts in these other places just for a convenience. It used to be that uh, you had to have more than ten thousand dollars to have any concern for it at all. But now on the uh, uh, Schedule B, where you report your interest income and your dividends, they ask if you have any bank account or brokerage account overseas. So uh, just be aware that you need to check that box if you do have even a $10 bank account. Uh, seems kind of silly. Uh, there's a, a fairly new form. Well, first of all, well, there's a form that uh, you need to use. Uh, it's form TDF 9222.1. It is what we call the FBAR form, foreign bank account report. That's actually due in June, by June 30th, and there's no extension for that form. So you may extend your individual income tax return. That FBAR form has to be filed by that date. And so, um, so that's something to be aware of. And then there's another form that they came out with. It's Form 8938. It's a statement of foreign, foreign financial accounts. And it applies for unmarried persons that have a, an account overseas uh, that has a value of uh, more than 50000 married joint over 100000 This is another form that needs to be included in your income tax returns. And I can tell you, most people don't know anything about it. So, again, uh, you probably should be getting some tax help uh, if you've got that sort of a situation. Uh, the penalties are really nasty, by the way, so really important to comply um, Michael, we, we, we've got three minutes of break, so give us one more before okay. we go to break. We've got about three minutes, so we'll go have to go to our next break. So give us another one, please. Okay. So another thing it has to do with mutual funds. Um, in the past, it was more of a problem uh, that uh, people would sell a, a mutual fund, and then they would just pick up their original cost. In other words, what their original investment was when they started in the fund, but there may be reinvested dividends in the fund. So now most of the funds are providing some cost history related to it, but if it's missing, uh, then then you have to dig it or, out or you have to request it. And so uh, so that's another uh, important item uh, that will make a difference, you know, when you sell, because you may have, uh, in some cases, thousands of dollars of accumulated dividends related to these funds. So I think we can leave that, leave that unless you want to do something else. We'll be back with more from Michael Gray on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Again, welcome back to Motivation with the Purpose here on TalkZone.com. We have been speaking with Michael Gray. He's a CPA, and it's his tax time of the year, and you can find his information at his company. His uh, website is TaxTrimmers.com, TaxTrimmers, T-R-I-M-M-E-R-S.com. Michael, you kind of, we kind of left off as you were talking a little bit about mutual uh, funds and so forth. And uh, especially when it comes to, to trading, a lot of times I think for, we talk a little bit about beginners and so forth and give us that, you know, that 
beginner type view, I guess, but we tend to sell, we, we, we don't realize when we're selling our mutual funds or stocks, you know, that, uh, the, the penalties, whether it's the IRAs or so forth, there are penalties involved sometimes or taxes that we ought to pay probably when we do that, that, that sale, but we tend to miss those sometimes. And, uh, talk to us a little bit more about, uh, what that means for this time of the year when we're filing taxes, if we've forgotten something of that nature. Well, you don't want to forget. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, it's just important to, I guess this comes to being organized related to your tax information. So um, I, I'm always surprised when I talk to a client and they're having trouble finding tax documents. Amen. So it's important to have some sort of a little filing uh, uh, system uh, for yourself. Uh, a good thing to do, you know, I, I'm still into paper, uh, so so I have paper files and I've you know, and I keep documents in my hand, and I have a tax uh, file, and so anything that's tax-related goes into that file. And when it comes to uh, time for preparing income tax returns, I can pull that out, and all the 1099s are there, all of the uh, things related to deductions for my property taxes and that sort of stuff. Uh, some people are getting more into um, electronic uh, filing systems, which is okay as long as you can find the stuff and it's organized. And, and of course, you want to be able to easily print those out if the uh, IRS uh, asks for them. But, it, you know, in most cases, that's not a problem. I guess then, if you are doing that, one more thing, be sure it's backed up someplace. So um, there is uh, an online uh, backup service um Trying to remember, it's named after this thing in Star Trek. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, not Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, I'm trying to spot it on my computer. Anyway, uh, but but do be sure that you uh, you have that uh, uh, backed up uh, in a, in a safe place. You might want to uh, even have a put it on a thumb drive and put it in your safe deposit box at the bank. Um, so. Anyway, so there's a few thoughts for you in that regard. But when it comes to these securities as well, Michael, people sometimes don't realize also that whether you're with uh, a Fidelity or one of these uh, security firms, that they usually have uh, some of their, I mean, your, your, your information, your tax forms are on their website as well, that they can go and extract that information if they've lost it too. Is that is that accurate? Right. So uh, in most cases, uh, people have a password-protected site, and they can get in there, and uh, they can uh, they can access those forms in that case. But then uh, it's a good idea to, I think, to have that uh, somewhere on your computer, like I said, or or print it out on paper because. Uh, let's say you get examined three years down the road uh, or more. You may actually have a harder time getting that online than you might think. Yeah. This is particularly a problem with bank records. So I'm still a fan of getting actual paper bank statements <laughs> with uh, copies of the checks. And these times, at this time, the banks are being sort of um, uh, they they don't like providing them. They, you know, they, in some cases they even charge you uh, for providing copies of, of your checks. Mm -hmm. I still think it's worth it, especially for people that have much going on. Again, if they're, uh, you know, improving properties or what have you, and they need to find these records or document deductions, it's sure awfully handy to have copies of those checks handy. And if you 
if, if they uh, are no longer available online, I'll tell you, they'll charge you uh, a tremendous amount in order to get that. Mm. Michael, based on your experience, what are some of the 10 biggest tax mistakes that our listeners will need to avoid this year? I know that there's probably a number of things, and we've talked about some of them so far this morning, but uh, when we talk about a top 10 list of mistakes to avoid, what would you say those are? Well, I've been actually covering, you know, sort of a top 10 list with you, Mm -hmm. but I I do have a few more. Let me throw some more items out here that, uh, that people may not be aware of. So one of them is inherited assets. And so, um, I've had people that have come to me and they've sold uh, an item that they've inherited. Let's say it's a stock, and they think they need to get the cost for the person who originally bought that stock. You know, let's say it was Grandpa that bought it. Right. And and Grandpa died last year, and now I've inherited the stock. And, oh, my gosh, how am I going to find out what Grandpa paid for it? Well, the fact of the matter is is when it's an inherited asset, you get what I – uh, what I call a fresh start basis. And so what happens is that uh, you you get the fair market value of the stock at the time that the person passed away. Uh, that is going to be the new tax, what we call the tax base, the cost that you use for determining gain or loss, which may be, by the way, or hopefully is a lot more than what Grandpa paid for it. Uh, and... Also, that is the acquisition date, but any asset that you sell that's inherited, you're considered automatically a long-term capital gain. So uh, so that's something that a lot of people may not be aware of, and especially it's important like for real estate, of course. Uh, so, again, Grandpa, well, my father, for example, <laughs> for my, my kid's grandpa, bought his home for about 30000 and it's worth about a million now. And so... Uh, uh, now we've had uh, my father did pass away and uh, had a substantial increase in the tax basis for that property. Um, so, so another uh, item, Michael. Yeah. Let, before, before you go to the next one, as you say that you brought another thought to mind. Yeah, we've been we've been saying especially uh, you're talking about inheritance in terms of property and so forth. But sometimes we see these things that the USAA has where people are inheriting. Uh, whether it's some, um, I guess it's some some kind of a medical uh, in, uh, coverage or some of that nature. Does that factor into this discussion as well? Things of that nature. I'm not sure that I understand your question. I'm sorry. There's, there's, there's. Uh, I mean, you can have the. I mean, I, I guess one of them that I could give a name for is called the U.S. It's like a U.S. Uh, armed Forces. It's some kind of an inheritance that you that maybe okay. a, a grandparent, like you said, bought into an insurance program. Okay, okay. Now you're talking about then insurance proceeds or a death benefit. Okay. Okay. So, so most of those death benefits are, are tax exempt. Okay. So, um, so that, yeah, that's a big help. Uh, like when I, I have a, a life insurance policy for myself. And so, uh, if something happens to me and my uh, wife then gets the proceeds from that policy, uh, there will be no tax related to that. Okay. Um, okay, so let's move on, if you'd like, uh, to another item. Um, yes. Qualifying child. So the qualified child, you know, for your uh, personal exemption and being treated as a dependent, uh, that's an item that I get a lot of questions. Uh, related to, 
uh, first of all, uh, generally, uh, once the child uh, is 18, then they no longer qualify as a dependent unless they're a full-time student. And then uh, that can go out to age 24. But you have to watch that because they get over age 25 and 4 and they're still going to school. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, the special rule related to this qualifying child, though, you see, is that they can earn more than their personal exemption and you can still claim them as a dependent. They can learn more than $3,800. You can still claim them as a dependent. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's a, an important exception to the rule. Otherwise, you can have a person who may still qualify. Let's say you, that you have now uh, your student uh, is age 25, but they don't have the earnings and they're still basically living at home. You can still claim them as a dependent, but they're no longer a qualifying child. Now they're an other dependent. Um, another important thing in this it has to do with divorced parents. So uh, this is sort of a sensitive area, but it's also an area of conflict. And uh, so I, what I've seen is that um, uh, the divorced parents um, will have a race to claim the dependent for the child, whether they're entitled to it, that dependent or not, once they do that, then that's going to create the problem. If the other parent was really qualified for the exemption, they have to, they cannot file an electronically filed tax return, and then they have to straighten out this mess with the Internal Revenue Service. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a form, eight, first of all, the idea is, is the custodial parent, where, where the child lays their head at night more than half of the year, that's the parent that's supposed to get the exemption. You can agree otherwise there's a form 8332 where basically the person can, if they were otherwise entitled to it, they can say, my, my spouse can take that exemption. Um, so anyway, uh, that's the but, situation. But, but, but Michael, you, even with that, what if we have a situation, that I think that I've seen one of these closed by my own, that what we have a situation where there's the custodial parent is not the working parent? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. In that case, they're not going to really get a tax benefit from getting that exemption, or they may not get. Now, you'd think there'd be alimony or whatever. Alimony is taxable income. Mm, Okay. Um, But uh, you may want to look and see, you know, how the family overall, even though it's a divorced family, you you know, how they can get the best tax benefit from this exemption. Uh, there are other things, you know, considerations here, you know, like uh, uh, getting uh, medical insurance through your employer and other things. So you need to – this is a very complex area, actually, unfortunately, and and it's also an area with a lot of conflict. Michael, uh, as I was saying, you know, a few years ago, I was in a situation, and I'm sure, I mean, as we go into our, this era and generation, we're starting to see a little bit more of multi-generational uh, homes, where there's several generations in the same home, and the breadwinner is usually that young person who is out there in the work, the world of work. So when we have these situations with parents living with us, disabled, disabled or not, uh, I, this is something that I've dealt with in the past, but can you help us? Uh, what are some things that we can work on when it comes to our our tax uh, deductions and so forth because of our parents? Well, one thing to 
be aware of is whether your parent is a dependent or not. Mm-hmm. That, most of what I've been seeing is, is that it's the kids that are moving in with the parents rather than the parents moving in with the kids. So, anyway, it's interesting that you raised this particular situation. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, so one of the things, again, is, you know, does the parent have earnings exceeding the exemption amount? Mm-hmm. Now, if the parent pretty much only has Social Security, then the Social Security won't be taxable income in that case. And, and, and you, as long as you're providing more than half of their support, then you may qualify uh, to claim an exemption for that, that parent. Uh, another thing is the parent doesn't even necessarily have to live with you. So there's an exception for parents where children are, in fact, providing the home for the parents, but it may be in a separate location. Sometimes okay. people can't live Wow. <laughs> so, so if you're providing the housing for the parent and you're providing more than half of their support, then they meet the income test. You may still qualify to claim the parent uh, in an exemption for, for the parents. Uh, and now another important thing is, of course, is if the parent qualifies as a dependent, you also, if you're paying the medical expenses, you might be able to claim uh, medical expenses for that uh, for that parent. And sometimes those can be pretty substantial, you know, particularly if people get into long-term care and other things. Uh, so, again, I mean, I think that it's probably wise to meet with a tax advisor for the details for your particular situation. Um, I guess a related problem that I'll throw out there is uh, when people are are buying properties together, and and you've got uh, you know parents' name is on the title and all this other stuff for homes, and it just to say it makes things much more complicated, uh, you know, about who's entitled to take the deductions and so forth. Um, for the most part, the IRS has gone with the uh, approach that if if you pay the entire house payment, and and you pay the t- the taxes. Then even if you if the title is in both names, you can still claim the tax deduction. Um, then there gets to be an issue, of course, when this home is sold and so forth. Uh, you know uh, who who has to report the income, and that should pretty much follow. Uh, you know the title for the home. So anyway, get advice. When you're doing this sort of things, unfortunately, these are the types of things that people do set up uh, without getting advice, and uh, they may be creating some estate and other issues uh, for themselves that that they're unintentionally doing. So um, that means it's time to also not only meet with an accountant, it's time to meet with a lawyer. (laughs) Okay. All right, Michael, that leads me into our next question, and you actually did a great job leading into this. Um, we talk about sometimes common mistakes and red flags that lead to IRS audits, and when we do more complicated transactions like you just mentioned, what are some of those common mistakes and red flags that lead to an IRS trigger audit? Well, I'll talk about one common uh problem area. That is, uh, uh, the people that may have 
either a side business or they've got a business and it runs losses year after year after year. And so uh, a, a, a common situation for this would be, for example, the gentleman farmer who's a, you know, a doctor, and then, but his farm is running uh, losses. Uh, there are hobby loss rules, and basically what it, these rules say is that um, if you are involved in an activity and it's really a hobby and you don't have an intention of making a profit with it long term uh, and you're not running it really as a business, then your deductions from that activity are limited to the amount of income that you have and the deductions are only allowable as itemized deductions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's it's a very serious situation and it's a very common situation and it's an IRS target. Um, now, an, another thing related to this is um, is the Schedule C uh, so, um, when people operate a business as a sole proprietorship, and I'm one of them, so <laughs> I'm not, you know, saying that you shouldn't do it, but there are some people that, let's just say, they try to um, put deductions in there that are that are questionable. The IRS knows this, and so uh, Schedule Cs uh, do become more of a target uh, for the IRS for examination, and they're creating more ways to try to you know, to track these things down, you know, unreported income. So, um, anyway, so just be aware uh, that that is a, a problem area that the IRS does target. Michael, we didn't really get into this a whole lot, and we're running here pretty quickly, a rundown on time, but charitable deductions especially, you know, I mean, we talk about areas of errors that would make click our audits, and that's another area that is very sensitive to audits, isn't it, our charitable uh, contributions? Well, that's a good question, so thank you for asking. Uh, First of all, uh, when you make a charitable contribution, you have to have a qualified receipt uh, when the the contribution is $250 or more. And um, that receipt has to have a statement on it. It has to say either there was no goods or services, there were no goods or services provided in exchange for this donation, or here's what the value of the goods or services that were provided to you are. So, for example, public television gifts are a common one where there's uh, some sort of gift that's often given. And, of course, the gift, the donation has to be reduced by that amount. But if you don't have that document, then uh, then that deduction can be disallowed, and there are very significant ones that, that this is applied to. I mean, even in, even gifts of real estate. So uh, it's really important to get things documented properly, or you're going to have a problem. Now, another thing is that uh, for non-cash contributions, uh, if you have more than five hundred dollars of non-cash contributions, goodwill. So Salvation Army, whatever that you give, then there's a special form that you have to put information in related to uh, those donations. And if you give more than, I think it's $2,500, you are actually required to get an appraisal. 
there is also a requirement, well, excuse me, I should say the appraisal requirement does not apply to publicly traded stock because it's so easily valued. Uh, anyway, so uh, you have to have these things done before you file your income tax return. And um, anyway, I've had some clients that I've pointed out this uh, disclosure requirement for donations in excess of, you know, five hundred dollars, and maybe they think they gave a thousand. They said, just forget it. Just limit it to five hundred dollars. Um, now, there's another thing. Uh, it used to be that you could, for example, you know, at Christmas time, we many of us throw a little something into the Salvation Army drum, you know, put a little cash in, or we go to church and we maybe put twenty bucks into the church basket uh, for making uh, our donation or tithe. Well, if you don't have some sort of an acknowledgement, in other words, you have to have a receipt for that, those currency type of donations are now non-deductible. So you can't just make a a guess as to how much did you put into the plate each week and put it down on your income tax return. Uh, You actually have to have the why. What do you do? You put it in the envelope. Uh, with your name and address on it, and then the uh, the church will usually uh, accumulate that information and tell you at the end of the year how many how much you've made in donations. So there's a few ideas related to donations. Very good sound advice, Michael. We appreciate your time for being on the show. You can reach Michael Gray at TaxTrimmers.com. This has been Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone. Join us next week for another exciting episode. For Zeke Bambolo, I'm Rich Hallstrom.